All right, guys, welcome to the show. Uh, today, I have a really interesting guest, uh, my first Canadian guest, actually, um, a guy you may not have heard of, or you may, um, but you probably have seen his work, even if you don't recognize the name. Uh, he works with companies like Sitka Gear and Yeti and Gerber and a bunch of other cool companies I'm not even thinking about right now. Um, but he's a very gifted photographer and videographer and storyteller um, and also an amazing backcountry hunter. Um, his name is Adam Foss. Like I said, he comes from north of the border in Canada. And interesting fact, he was the youngest person to ever do a sheep slam with a bow. So like I said, very accomplished hunter and um, content creator. Um, and this one... As you may guess, since I am interested in film and content creation, we do get um, talking a little bit about cameras and camera gear and stuff like that. So hopefully that's interesting for you. Um, but we also talk a lot about hunting and just all kinds of backcountry stuff, his story. Um, and uh, we started talking at the top of the podcast about uh, lacrosse, which is a sport that we both played. So we kind of connected on that and we kind of just started rolling into the conversation. So um, Adam is a really interesting guy. Um, if you follow him on social media, um, he's one of these guys who I mentioned it in the episode, but you know, there's a lot of people who are content creators or, you know, film hunts or whatever, but he's one of these type guys that for me, I look at him and I just, he has like this sort of X factor to his, um, his stuff that he creates, um, that really sets him apart in my book as a true artist. So, um, I really respect his work a lot. Um, he, he comes out with some amazing stuff. And um, so anyway, without further ado, I'm going to jump in here to this episode with Adam Foss, and I hope you enjoy. So I'm in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, which is like Virginia Beach area. Um, okay. So you said you were recruited to play lacrosse at some schools out here? Yeah, I visited Roanoke. Okay. Um, I had a friend that played then, there. Oh, really? Yeah, so lacrosse, I was actually, I wanted to bring that up because that was like my sport growing up too. No way. Yeah. Oh, what position did you play? Hold on, let me guess You want to start this thing? Sorry. Shit, I always do this. Sorry. What? Like, no, no. you want to start this podcast <laughs> more officially? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good, man. That's why I hit record. Um, you were an attackman, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Aha, yeah, called I it. <laughs> I played it. I played that. Yeah. That was a guess, by the way. I didn't know that. That was a guess. Really? What an educated guess. I was a long stick midi and D. Oh, you were. Jeez. Mm-hmm. You got the shoulders for it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Funny small world. Yeah. So I I went on a visit there. Uh, I went to some other D three schools. Uh, like Salisbury and Wack and okay. Stevens Tech up in Hoboken. Okay. So some D three stuff, and then my brother went to school on the West Coast for lacrosse. He he played at a D two school um, out there called Notre Dame Dana Merritt. Okay. And I did all that, and then I was I kind of was didn't know really know exactly what to do, and then I ended up playing in in Canada, like where I live and where I'm from cool. at, at one of the few schools that has field lacrosse. Cause we all grew up playing indoor, right? We all play box cross. Oh, uh, gotcha. So that's our primary sport. And then field lacrosse at the time was just gaining popularity in Canada and, and okay. kids were starting to get looks from U S schools and things like that. So nice. Man. Yeah. I yeah, just, uh, like for some reason, that. I just like, I was like, I bet you he's an attackman just because your personality and I think you're a shorter guy, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm about 5'7". <laughs> but <laughs> the funny thing was our, our attack line was me uh, behind the net, this righty named Ben Towner, who was probably 5'7 and a quarter. And then our lefty was, he was taller, but he was thinner. He was like maybe 5'9". Yeah. And about 145 pounds. So nice. we were really super small. Um, of course, our on the on the roster it said like I think I I think in college it said I was like 185 and 510. <laughs> right. You got to you got to pad it a little bit. 
I'm like, this is juiced by 30 pounds at least <laughs> and three inches. And our coaches did that with everybody on the oh, attack. Yeah. Like, Cause we were really small, but um, it was fun, man. Yeah. It was, I, I think about it all the time. I kind of miss like team sports and I know lacrosse is one of those sports. that's like, you can't, you can't fully replicate it. I mean, there are some adult mm-hmm. leagues where I'm at, uh, which I've considered mm-hmm. doing before, but it's not like basketball where you can go, you can play a legit game of basketball, but like I played football and lacrosse and like, you can't really replicate that very well. It's so true. I, so I lived in, in Bozeman, Montana, um, right out of college. And there was a, there was a men's league there as well for field okay. lacrosse. And it was horrible because <laughs> you're not in as good a shape as you used to be. Got all these high school and college kids are running around. Yeah. It's not a, it's a hard sport to play. If you play at 60%, get your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. If you play at 120% in men's you league, your you're too hard. You're, and you're playing too hard. Like you're slashing <laughs> yeah. kids. And like, I, I was so, like super aggressive and, and the sort of Canadian style box cross is very like dirty and chippy yeah. and the hockey and influence. And, oh, totally. Like we're fighting all the time and doing yeah. a bunch of bullshit. So, <laughs> Play, taking that in the men's league is like eh. i did it for a year and they're like like i remember this kid, this kid just got i was i think i was running midi or something and this kid got hammered right off the face off um this is in men's league and just got thumped and then he was kind of he's this big juiced up college kid and he's run over to hit me and i just like moved out of the way and i grabbed my face mask <laughs> and i just said hey dude we're all we're all jobs and you know, we're not trying to get killed. And I grabbed them and the, and the whole, everyone ran out. They're like, you can't grab a guy by the helmet. And this guy goes, that guy's Canadian grabbing somebody by the face mask is basically like shaking someone's hand. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, you're actually right. But that's funny. So did you play after high school or what, what, did you, what was your path? Nah, man. Um, I started around, I started when I was like in fifth grade and I wasn't like amazing. I was, you know, I was on the, like kind of the travel teams growing up and I was like decent. And, um, I played a little bit on the varsity. We had a really good team. Like my high school won like the state championships. So like they were like, you know, guys that were, so I would get some reps, you know, like at long stick midi. Cause I was really defenseman, but you know, they put me long stick Mm -hmm. midi cause I was, I was pretty good at ground balls and stuff. So I would be on the face off. And then like, as soon as, you know, as soon as we get the ball, if we get it, I would run off kind of thing. And so I didn't get tons of reps. Um, I was, I was a late bloomer in high school and wasn't super athletic. I mean, I was pretty competitive, but, um, so now I just, I I hung it up after high school, but lacrosse is so good out there too. I mean, yeah, Yeah. I I did a few, few camps and stuff where, I mean, the level, level across at that level, even in high school ball, and some of those like blue yeah. chip recruit kids are just, they're so athletic too. I mean, all the way up and down yeah. the field. It's I like, mean, whew. the guys that play defense in our team, like went to like University of Virginia and like played, mm-hmm. you know, like first string and stuff like that. I mean, they were like legit. Peace. Yeah. So different, different program. The yeah. nice thing about box across is you can be kind of a, kind of a fat piece of shit and have good hands and score goals and stuff and, and be pretty good. And it's a, it's a small, it's a way smaller surface. So yeah. it's not your unathleticism doesn't get exposed as much. But, yeah. I remember uh, we used to watch some of those box across games and be like, Oh, this is you? sick. You know, like this is like, we thought it was like so much more like, I don't know, like it just seemed like you said, it's more physical. It's more like kind of like hockey influenced. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back in the days. Yeah. What was, uh, I guess you guys probably never had a team, but there was a bunch of NLL teams. The NLL goes in and out of <laughs> teams pop up every year and then disappear. But yeah, um, yeah it's fun. And, and I grew up in Calgary, so we had the Roughnecks, who is our was our NLL team, still is. And then we played Junior A, and then yes, I kind of oh, finished nice. after after college um, too. I kind of had like two half-ass busted knees. Oh, um, yeah. it was time too. to go, but I actually got I got to get drafted for the NLL and never never was like wow lacrosse is it's over it's like time to yeah time time to move on I'm I'm, I'm uh, yeah it's hard I mean I actually it's funny maybe this is like the perfect segue into what we're actually probably interested in talking about but 
I actually, the conscious thought was I have to save my knees for like hunting and being in the mountains yeah. because I don't, I don't want to like cash in my, my body and my ability to get around for, for sure. Five or seven years of glory years of playing mm -hmm. a few more years of lacrosse. Right. But, um, yeah, that was sort of my thought process. Yeah. And I think it's, Go ahead. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, team sports, I, I think team sports are great to play while you can and play them while they're young and they teach you so much. You make so many lifelong friendships and there's, there's things about those, those sports and that sort of time in your late teens and, and early twenties, I think that are unreplaceable and, mm -hmm. and, and doing it with a, with a group of people that, um, yeah, through those like formative years is, is really special. Yeah. And then, yeah, for me, it was more don't beat the body up completely because I was always the smallest kid on the floor in the field mm -hmm. playing scrappy. You just get all those little niggles. And now I'm starting to feel it too. I'm, I'm like 35 and I can feel my knees when I go downhill and those sorts of things. And yeah, I'm kind of going, oh man. But I got, I got a lucky. I never really blew it. Like I didn't blow up a yeah. ACL or anything like that. I just did it some small stuff. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, cause so anyways, you take care of yourself. You can hunt like long into your life. Whereas, you know, unless you're just messing around on men's league or something, it's not like you're going to be playing lacrosse till you're 60 or whatever, probably. But, um, but that's cool, man. I think you might be the first lacrosse player I've had on the, on the podcast. And uh, you're definitely the first Canadian. So sweet. Super. Yeah. I've been on a Canadian podcast, but oh, I've nice. never had a Canadian on my podcast. <laughs> Which one were you on? Um, Focus Hunting. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know that guy? I think Kevin yeah. is his name? Yeah. Yeah. He's actually close to me here in Kelowna. I think he's in the okay, same cool. town. Yeah, I got a couple um, <laughs> good like long-time listeners up there in Canada, but uh, things have been kind of crazy up there lately, huh? A little bit, yeah. I mean... Yeah crazy everywhere in the world I guess, that's true right? that's true <laughs> canada's been a little bit in the spotlight though lately with some of this stuff yeah yeah no doubt no doubt about it until ukraine happened but i yeah. don't want to get i don't want to go super political because i just it takes me on a negative spiral and i don't i just don't want to do that but uh um, don't do that <laughs> i do want to know um so um i don't know you you may not know anything about me um but i this year have kind of gone all in. So I do the podcast, but also make films. So oh. this year is going to be my first like all in. Um, I'm working with, with Brian and those dudes from gritty this year. Um, so between that and the podcast and then my own kind of stuff, I'm going full time this year into it. So cool. I kind of want to approach, you know, one thing, you know, obviously I was drawn to you by your work. Um, but also as I started looking more at you and what you do and stuff, like um, you're also just a really accomplished hunter as you know, not just like a content creator or a camera guy or whatever. Like you're a really accomplished hunter. I think what well, you were the youngest, youngest guy to ever do a sheep slam with a bow. Is that, is that what I heard? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, thanks man. So, uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm coming at this from, but I'd love to just hear your story, um, you know, you know, how you got into hunting, but also, you know, how you got into the, the media side of things, because I feel like there are a lot of people who are decent at creating content and creating media. You know, I would consider myself in there as like a practitioner, but there's some people I feel like they have this kind of like X factor. It's like the second class of like an artist and like, I'm not trying to flatter you, but I feel like I just feel that <laughs> I feel that X factor from you of like, you're just like that next level. You're just kind of an artist. And so, um, Thanks, I just want to hear, yeah. So I want to, I want to hear a little bit about your story and how you got into this and just kind of to introduce you to some of my audience that may be less familiar with you. Cool. I appreciate it. Whew. Well, where to begin? I guess I, it's interesting you say the both sides of the coin, which is sort of the photography and filmmaking and then this other hunting side. Mm -hmm. In my mind, those are totally not separate. I mean, they're, they're 
they're inextricably linked. Yeah. Uh, because one influences the other and the other influences the other. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to back up, I, can I jump in I, really quick? Because yeah, there's please, something please that you said there uh, that I wanted to bring out later, but like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are so like, um, or there are some people who are like, oh, you know, all these content creators and influencers and da 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 da, and uh, you know, hunting used to just be about getting out there, and and I'm like, actually no, like storytelling and art and hunting have been hand in hand since human history began. Like if you look at cave paintings on the wall, mm-hmm. which is like probably the first art form, arguably, or or storytelling around a campfire. I mean. That was they were coming back from hunts or or war sometimes, but probably more so hunts and and making art about it and talking about it and telling mm-hmm. stories. So it's like, yes, it's a new medium now, and yes, there's some weird things that happen with social media and whatever. But like storytelling and hunting have been hand in hand since the beginning of human history. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. No, and no doubt about it. I mean, and that's why I originally got into it i mean i started shooting photos and that's sort of why i preface all this with the the two are so linked so i grew up right in the foothills of the rockies in southern alberta so within an hour drive you basically head west into canmore alberta which is sort of the rocky mountain front Mm -hmm. there's an archery only bighorn sheep unit that you can hunt over the counter every year wow maybe for some of our listeners Canada has just, especially Western Canada, Alberta, and where I'm at now in British Columbia, which is Western Canada, you have the opportunity to hunt many species yeah. over the counter every year. And we sort of have big, vast land, land tracks of wilderness still, fortunately, and some rugged mountains that are challenging to get into and animals are do pretty well there still. I mean, it's essentially... I mean, Alaska and, and British Columbia sort of meet. Alaska comes down, the Panhandle and BC mm-hmm. goes up. So Northern BC is, you know, at least in your mindset, for lack of a better definition, is is basically Alaska, especially the West Coast of, of BC, mm-hmm. um, the Northwest Coast. And so that's sort of to to position it. That's sort of where I, I grew up. And like a lot of people, my dad was big time into hunting, bow hunting specifically. So he was. We were always hunting as soon as I was the legal age to do so, which is 12. I have an older brother, Cam, who's two years older, same deal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we, whether it was sitting in tree stands for whitetails right out of our backyard, I mean, we'd literally get off the school bus and run out into the trees and go sit in these two tree stands <laughs> and spook a bunch of whitetails. And then, I mean, I, I did, I was doing first time sort of mountain hunting when I was 13 with my dad and brother. And then I, I think I did my first overnight backpack sheep hunt when I was 14. So, and that's just wow. obviously a great mentor in, in my father teaching me those things and not really questioning whether or not this is a normal thing for a kind of a 14 <laughs> year old kid to do, just sort of wanting to be out there. And yeah, it was just sort of in our, in our, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, just in our culture, like it was in our, we were talking about it. If, if my dad had people over for dinner, they were probably into hunting or sheep hunting of some sort. Yeah. We would read old books and look at maps and just, it's just like anything, like anybody's sort of family tradition. It was like always in the topic of conversation. And so when I was 14, I took a black and white photography class in high school. We had a dark room hmm. in our school. And so it was sort of this, I, I'm interested in photography and I'm interested in the mountains and I'm going to these really unique places that, I, that none of my friends are going. I mean, my right. friends are hanging out on the weekends and I played sports too. I mean, we covered that a little bit. I played hockey and I played every, every sport that there was. And the one thing I didn't do was, and I was definitely not big enough or talented enough to play football, but football was like a fall sport. And that was like the one thing where it's, it was like hunting time in the fall. And so we would go and I was kind of thinking, man, 
no one's going to believe me <laughs> that I'm out here. And so I started bringing a camera and I would shoot photos and develop them and print them in this class. And it was, I mean, they were totally horrible and le <laughs> learned a lot and film, film photography. If you, it, it, it is like a bit of a cruel mistress because you didn't have the instant feedback of looking right. at the back of the monitor and just shooting stuff and editing everything. It's like right. you sort of go out, do a little roll of film, you take 30 photos, yeah. they all suck. You can't take like 700 photos in a row and just pick the best one. Yeah. And you come back and then, or you just completely mess up developing them and destroy your roll of film. Um, so that's sort of how I got into it. And that was before anything. I mean, it was before, I guess, no, that was before anything. I mean, it was before, and by anything, I mean, it's social media or content creation or mm -hmm. things that you're sort of talking about. So that, that I was just, I was just kind of interested in doing that. Um, and always doing that. Cause I was a hunter and we were going, fortunately had like awesome opportunity to go on some really cool trips and hunts that were just unique. And then as we kind of got older to, to sort of be into our mid teens, me and my brother would go out with our, with our buddies or by ourselves and do these hunts. And I mean, it, to put it into perspective, I mean, it's sort of, it was never really questioned. It was never really, it was just like what we were doing. I mean, yeah. sheep season opens August 25th. We're going somewhere. Uh, we're going to a new spot. We're, and, and let me be clear. We're going to definitely do everything wrong. Get tons of blisters, <laughs> bring way too much stuff, bring not enough stuff, get totally wet and cold and make all those kind of like hundreds and hundreds of mistakes that just, right. I mean, we, I, I was reading, there was like not a lot on the subject. I was reading old books and I really liked Chuck Adams and Cam Haynes had this backcountry bow hunting book, mm -hmm. backcountry black tails, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah. And I had those two books under my bed and we'd read them and, but there was no, there wasn't this sort of huge upswell of, of information sharing right. and high, high detailed Google earth and yeah. just, even just basic backpacking principles where you're starting off with the correct gear and, and just the, the mindset of how to even do this. We just, we just kind of, I could tell you, but we could fill the whole podcast up with all the shit that we did <laughs> horribly wrong. Yeah. And, and those resources are really good, but at the same time, there's no substitution for learning this stuff like in the field, the hard way. Now, you know, someone like me who started mountain hunting later, it was valuable, like you said, to start off at least doing some stuff right, you know. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you know, those experiences you went through probably just taught you so much, like, about how to do everything, you know. Yeah, in some ways, I, I, I <laughs> it sounds weird, but I almost um, am sort of jealous of that beginnings now as I sort of progress and, every hunt seems so you just have these higher like your expectations just get a little bit more and more raised especially over the last couple of years and i'm trying to take it back to say we go on those hunts not see shit have a great time um and now i i feel like bow hunting is a very grounding way of knowing hey i mean most likely we're we're not going to harvest an animal and, and it is about being out there but you do have higher expectations that you're going to go and see some game and sort yeah. of you're always pushing yourself. Whereas in those days we just were out there to be out there. I mean, a hundred percent and learning too and soaking it up and can't wait to get out. And, and now that's, and that is the cool thing about hunting is you can kind of progress it. You can keep trying new places or hunt with a new weapon or hunt with new people, get new people involved, learn through their eyes, go to different areas, hunt completely different species. That's what I do love about hunting and you can basically do it almost in the entire planet um, or anywhere that there's mountains, which we're really, really fortunate that we have that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit of background. And then from there, everything was kind of happening at the same time where we were seeing, I, stu I studied environmental science because I wanted to sort of thought that I could get paid to be outside basically in some sort of research position, which is 
a little bit ill-conceived because you kind of need to have eight or 10 years of education and do your master's or PhD and things like that. And this is a little too focused, I think for my brain anyways. Um, and so, yeah, it was just sort of serendipitous timing. I ended up working for a marketing agency that was doing mm. work for a couple of hunting brands at the same time. Social media was having this big demand for using photography. And then when DSLRs could shoot photo and video at the same time with the switch of a button for somebody who's going on sort of backpack hunts and bringing very limited gear, that was a, a bit of a opening up of, of opportunity where yeah. you could shoot high quality video and high quality photos. You could be a one man band. You could literally just grab a camera and a lens and, and actually go and create some half decent stuff. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I definitely am not blind about my abilities and skills. Definitely B minus C plus like type guy. Um, especially at that time. And, but it was more no one else was really doing it. I mean, nobody was taking a camera and filming a backpack archery stone sheep hunt or something. I mean, it yeah. just wasn't, it was like one of the best films like that out there at the time, because there was one or two of them. Right. I mean, right. not a lot of people were doing it. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of people were doing that type of hunting and not a lot of people were trying to film. So, um, I just got super, super lucky that those things kind of worked out. And then, at the same time, these brands. So the first sort of company we started working with was Sitka. Mm -hmm. and, and they were just sort of a small company there in California. Um, they were creating this gear and, and they sort of took off too with this. There's something here with this mountain athlete, backcountry hunter meets mountaineer, um, mm -hmm. multi-sport user that's maybe using this blend of, of backpacking gear from other brands, but now we have this company coming in and making it for hunting. And that just, that just took off and, yeah. and created a, a demand for, for their products. And then also just people that were using them and telling stories around hunts. And I don't know, fast forward 10 or 12 years and now we're here and there's so many other brands in the space and there's tons of talented people doing this type of work which is awesome and it kind of feels i don't know it kind of feels all like uh a dream like a really good dream like it's like how is this sometimes sometimes i am somewhere and i'm looking through something with a camera or whatever i'm doing i'm like how is somebody freaking paying me to do this shit this is awesome <laughs> like this is know, so man. awesome yeah um and yeah i just feel real fortunate that a, a lot of people helped me out right place right time both just in my mindset also at my age too i mean just being kind of young and dumb enough to just yeah i could probably figure this out and yeah yeah i mean you're being it, humble too but i mean there is a there is a um, there is a courage to, cause I mean, same thing with me. I mean, you know, if you would ask me like 10 years ago, what would like be my ultimate dream job? Mm -hmm. I would say this and it took me a while to get here. And actually the road that led me here was actually, I think ordained by God because I, I learned things along the way that I couldn't do at the time. Um, anyway, but all I'm trying to say is, is like, there was a lot of telling myself, oh, that's like, that's too good to be true. Like you, you can't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's that whole mindset of like, um, yeah, it's just too good to be true. Um, but you know, just like, you know, having the entrepreneurial spirit or being willing to take a risk or, um, maybe it's just like you said, right place at the right time. But, um, there is also a, a courage to, not giving up on your dream, you know, and not saying, ah, well, screw it. I'll just go to law school and be a lawyer or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny you say that. That's what my wife and I always say. Should we just oh, really? go to law school and <laughs> make about, like sort of front load, you know, your life where you're kind of going, okay, one day, one day, one day when I'm whatever, yeah, 50 or 
I'm going to start doing this stuff or kind of like switch it and do that now and right. have this kind of really unique work life. Definitely not a balance. That's the worst word for it, but integration, <laughs> I would say in a, yeah. integration of work and life and life and, and passions with what we're both passionate about, because I don't do this alone too. And, and maybe that's worth mentioning. I work with my wife. Mm-hmm. She's, which is awesome. Yeah. She's a rock star and she, I wouldn't be able to do it without her because there's, there's so many other parts of this forward facing photography film side of things that I think, I think people actually maybe don't quite realize. And I definitely wouldn't see that from the outside looking in and maybe you're experiencing some of this stuff right now, but it's sort of the running of a business and Mm -hmm. managing all these relationships and kind of showing up to work with either clients or, or sort of whatever type of work that you're in, that's actually not taking photos and shooting video For and sure. flying around in a helicopter or a super cub. That's like what we get to do sometimes, but it's actually not the majority of the time. We're not doing yeah. that 12 months a year, even though on the internet, of course, like you're seeing everyone's highlight reel, you're seeing my highlight reel. And it's like someone, someone told me, made a comment. Oh, your photos are so great amazing like i could never do this and it's like well you got to keep in mind i'm picking the best five photos from a 14-day trip i edited i've been doing this for 20 years i'm editing them and i'm putting it out there and these are also beautiful locations i mean just we're going to these really cool places and so you probably could if you were if you were you know there for that long and that's the stuff that you don't really yeah. fully understand but um and if you're willing to put like 60 hours behind a computer on an editing you know editing video to get a 20 totally. minute episode or something you know people don't yeah. people don't see you slaving away like like right now I'm I've been using Premiere for years and mm-hmm. this person I'm working with now is like basically forcing me to use Final Cut and I'm like smashing my head against the computer every day and i hate it but oh, no what do you use final cut no i don't i use premiere okay, we did that way back in the day but when they started i mean they're running a pretty good business they're doing yeah. all the creative cloud subscription stuff so you're getting yeah premiere after Lightroom, photoshop yeah. that, all that stuff so you you kind of don't have a choice yeah so <laughs> but you. okay so i i agree with you and uh if this person is listening premieres better, but, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, people don't see the, uh, the, I mean, they see, and it's amazing the, you know, when we do get to get out in the field and it's, and that's why we do it probably, but they don't see the slaving away behind the computer screen too. Yeah. And I think it's just, just the business part of it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not, um, People and especially now, it's so competitive now. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. I call them. It's kind of it's kind of a shitty term, but GWCs, guys with cameras. There's a lot of them, right? Yeah. People have cameras. They're super accessible. They're not that expensive. Mm-hmm. They're really good. I mean, this freaking thing. Yeah, seriously. Takes awesome photos. I mean, and that's I actually think that that's it's really cool. It's a good thing. Um that that it is so accessible to to create photos and video but the point being is it's never been more competitive and you sort of have to have this other side which is yeah you're running a business and mm-hmm. there's there's some stuff that that, that you got to do that isn't as sexy and cool as as being a photographer or filmmaker might seem especially on the internet just like any job i mean I think it, it is, and I, and I, and I don't get me wrong. I, I fully love what we get to do. I think I'm just kind of trying to paint that other side of the picture too. Where yeah, sure. Don't look at my stuff and go, wow, this is so, you're so great. And the photography's awesome. It's like, well, this is the best. This is like the highlight reel. Also I'm working, this is my full-time job and a half. Like this is not my casual side hustle. This is your what I do. And so, if someone has a, has a job and they want to take photos on, this, on their on their weekends or their hunting trips, I mean, they should and they should not 
judge them based on the shit that they see on the internet because I don't know, that's like not super great for your mental health to be doing that all the time because it's just not fair. And I guess like I'm as guilty as anyone for putting, I just put the best stuff out there that I like. And yeah, but that's, I mean, that's what you do. So it is. (laughs) And like you said, there's, um, there is lots, you know, on the other side of that coin, um, what I found is there are lots of guys who are really amazing shooters, photographers, um, that are way better than me. And there are lots of guys that are way better hunters than me, but the list of guys that like will happily go suffer the mountains for 10 days and are like at least decent at capturing images is fairly small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. So I don't know. There's that side of it too. But, um, going back to that, like I was talking about like that X factor that like makes someone go from like a GWC to <laughs> an artist. What is that, man? Do you know what it is or how, how do you get there? Or is it time. just something you just got? Time. Time. Reps. I mean, it's like anything. It's a short answer. Mm-hmm. Practice, 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 practice. Um, like I was sort of talking about in the, for, with film photography, you that feedback loop is is big from shooting to editing to going back out and shooting. And with digital photography, it's tiny because you can shoot, you can literally look at the back of the screen, you can kind of process what's working and what's not, and then you can go out and shoot again. Yeah. And that 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 learning curve is is so tightened because of that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But still, you still have to kind of go through that. And of course, like I, I, I've hopefully am in the like graph of life and skills as a photographer or as anything, as a, just a man and a human, I'm like just starting like this journey too. Right. Yeah. And so that's something I think that's really important is to kind of keep evolving and keep shooting things that are, that are passionate projects for me where it might be not just normal typical hunt it might be something a little bit more journalistic or mm-hmm. or i do lots of work with nonprofits and conservation organizations it's really important mm-hmm. to me personally and we love doing that sort of thing and and pushing sort of what this photography filmmaking thing is because um Otherwise, you get a little bit, a little bit stagnant, a little bit stale. But I think the, the the short answer is is time and reps. And because we live in the digital age, you can do that really like a lot quicker. Yeah. And shooting and editing and shooting and editing and shooting and editing. Um, and I think a lot of people probably don't quite know that it's it's already happening just by the nature of the way that when you take photos and then you go edit them and you look at them. Next time you go out, you're already kind of integrating mm-hmm. those ideas into your brain, whether you fully know it or not, but you're kind of going, oh, last time I did, I, whatever, I shot, the, I like, I remember I was shooting this night photo and, you know, I, I kind of screwed up. I should have put it on manual focus, I had it on autofocus, and I shot all these great photos of stars, but my camera couldn't quite find focus because it's like at infinity, but yeah, it's like there's not enough light and I should have just hit manual and focused it you you go do that so you make all those mistakes and then you go do it again and again and again and again yeah um i think it's, it's like, a little less yeah i think it's a little less give me a, a book or give me a module of stuff of course there's some very basic principles mm-hmm. but those are fairly commonly talked about what you're talking about if you're talking about this x factor thing i think it's a little bit more somewhere between intuitiveness and artfulness and kind of trying to see the unique things. Um, and then just doing that again and again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with, with like going on, you know, going on a sheep hunt, like sometimes you got to go out and get your feet soaking wet and get blisters and then you learn next time. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's some things that like you just got to learn through reps. I mean, um, 
Like I remember I, you know, I'd listened to all the podcasts and, you know, read all the articles I could before my first like backcountry mountain hunt, uh, which mm-hmm. consequent or coincidentally was like 40 miles from the Canadian border. Um, but, uh, Canada. where were we at in Montana or <laughs> no, I was in Alaska. Oh, you're in Alaska. Yeah. Sick. First backcountry mountain hunt ever was walk in caribou hunt in Alaska DIY. Cool. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, there's still things that you just, you just learn from just getting out there and you gotta, I feel like with media and with hunting, like you can't let like this, maybe it comes from social media, this like desire for perfection, stop you mm-hmm. from going out and like getting reps. Like you're saying, I was actually talking to a guy the other day who wants to get into filming and outdoor industry and stuff. He's like, I got all this really cool, you know, stuff I shot, uh, but I haven't done anything with it. I'm like, well go back, put it together, edit it for yourself or just for your friends or whatever. And, and, and just start practicing, like start doing it. Um, because he, he was basically waiting till he had like some sick, like archery elk hunt captured to like put it together and dreaming that's going to go on whatever. I'm like, no, dude, just start now. Like start just getting reps. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, man, that's good stuff. Um, Shifting focus a little bit, but not really. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about gear because you know a thing or two about gear. I break a lot of shit, yeah. <laughs> um, so I I have a um, well, I have several hunts coming up, but the one that I'm thinking most about is uh, an October mule deer hunt in Idaho, an extremely rugged type area. 10 days um gonna be filming it um so anyway it's gonna be very rugged and heavy packs um so i'm kind of trying to prioritize uh i'm i'm curious like what's what's your kind of setup for for video are you bringing two bodies which lenses you bring in which audio systems uh go yeah sorry i'm just gonna silence my phone here (laughs) no you're good Ooh, I mean, I, that's a, ooh, that's a, that's a, uh, I'm going to a- answer your question with either 10 other questions, follow-up questions, <laughs> or I'm going to say something sort of more just general because no two hunts are the same and no two hunts bring the same hunting gear. No two hunts bring the same camera gear. Um, so that being said, there's some sort of basic foundational things that I would always do, which is always bringing two bodies you're pretty much counting on dropping one in a river or having it fail. And you could it, it depends on what you're doing. If you're is this like straight filming or are you trying to do some still photography too, or 80, 20 or um, something like that? It's, it's mainly video. Like for me, for this, like the, just to be honest, um, the still photography is kind of a secondary I don't want to say afterthought that seems harsh, but it's mainly video. So, yeah. Um, you know, what I was thinking was bringing, I have like a 24 to 240 for like over the show, over the shoulder. It's pretty versatile. It's not the, it's not, it's a slow lens, but, um, and then bringing like a two to 600 with a doubler, but that thing is freaking heavy. Yeah. Um, you could do that for sure. Are you, are you, what bodies are you shooting on? A seven S three. Right. Um, man, I mean, I would do that. I would do, I was going to say, I would do, if you do the 24 to 205, great. Or I would do 24 to 70 on one 7200 and never even change it. I mean, it's, you're pretty well covered. Um, the big lens question. Yeah. The big lens question is always a good question. I think it is in a, in a real backpacking hunt with cagey animals in sort of a limited hunting environment where you're probably working super hard to find them. And it's not as if you're finding big deer around every single corner. Um, I think it is pretty hard to get awesome wildlife footage, even with a, with a 600, um, because a 600, even doubled, it's not, you still have to be 
within 250 or 300 yeah. yards or, or mm-hmm. closer. I mean, rifle inside 200. Yeah, yeah, inside inside rifle range. And so the number of times that you're doing that is pretty small unless you're you're going to go try and kill this deer. Um, so, which is, it's sort of, it's an all or nothing thing. I've carried, I've carried 600s around on many hunts and never pulled the thing out. Or I pull it out because I'm like, shit, I brought this thing. I need to pull it out. But I, <laughs> for practical purposes, never pull it out because you've is got that mainly because you're doing archery or is that just in general, you think the 200s enough? No, 200 is definitely not enough, but it's like, you it's just don't practically, you're thing. just, well, you're just not really, it just on an actual like hunt where, and what I mean by actual hunt, what am I trying to say by that? Um, I'm trying to say just on a g- sort of general mountain hunt, mm-hmm. you're at, you're glassing at great distances. You're not, unless you're on an archery elk hunt or something where you're calling these animals in, you're covered up an elk or you're hunting maybe whitetail from a tree stand, or it's a more controlled environment on a backpack hunt where you're moving around you're not at close distance to these animals all that often. Right. right, right. And if you are, it's probably for a, a quick second, you accidentally roll up on some deer and I don't know the unit or what you're doing. If you're covered up in deer every day, I think you're going to see tons of animals. Yeah. I would maybe bring it. But point of the story is if you do see an animal and you get on it quick, you basically have to have that 600 ready to roll, which you're not going to There's a huge lens. You're going to have it in your pack. <laughs> it's going to take you 90 seconds to, to set it up, get the, you got to carry a bigger tripod. You got to throw yeah. it on. It's no good in the wind. Like you have to do all those things. You're basically carrying that lens around to get one shot of the deer that you might um, try and kill and, and you might get it or you might not. And I would not discourage you from bringing a ton of useless camera deer. Um, Cause I've definitely <laughs> done that. And I brought a 600 into horrible places, but you don't <laughs> use it all that much. Yeah. Um, Unless there's something where you're glassing super tight canyons and there's short looks and you you know, you could get some cool stuff. But, um, I think that that, like everything has a sort of cost of volume and weight in your pack. And I think what you could do with the 600, if you took it away and put other things in, you would be, it would be more useful and other things could be two more days of food. Hmm. other things could be a little light tarp that allows you to baby out overnight if you need to or set up a little tarp and you can glass under it like there's other things that can impact your hunt and filming that that 600 is gonna that 600 is gonna sit in your path in my Hmm. opinion wow i'm glad i'm glad i asked that (laughs) because i like that that's a good perspective and i um you know other people i've worked with have different opinions, but I'm glad that you said that. Cause now I can really, well, I, I got to make some decisions, but, um, well, and other people, I mean, I don't want to carry that people, thing around, but I think other people are, have different perspectives and are probably smarter than me because the thing about the 600 is like, you could get the money. You could be getting this like amazing wildlife shot, right? The, the places that I have brought a 600 that is that I am glad that I brought it on is, archery elk hunts where we're covered up in elk we're mm-hmm. calling them in we're getting we're all over elk we know where they are it's like bring it right covered up in them and that thing's got to be ready to roll but mm. you know when elk are bugling and you're getting on them right yeah. whereas in, in the in the backcountry on a mountain hunt like on a october deer hunt it's like you don't you're glassing you're glassing one to four miles and then you you know you see a deer it's 800 yards away you dig out the 600, you set it up and it's like, Oh, there it is. It's this tiny little speck. Right. And you're kind of like, Oh man, why did I bring this thing? Um, <laughs> That's or, interesting uh, because like you would think that you would, you would not want to bring the six when you know, you're going to be covered up with animals close, but you're saying it's better to bring the six when you are going to be covered up with animals close. That's interesting. Well, it's just a factor of, for me, I'm, I think you're going to get some really compelling stuff at that 50 to 150 yard range Mm -hmm. with that lens. And I'm talking like a, like kind of not a super nice 600, like a 150 to 600 from Sigma or a 200 to 600 from Sony. Like those, those are just okay lenses. I'm not talking like a 600 prime because I don't have one of those. And 
if I did, I don't know if I would bring it into the mountains ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'm just thinking about percentages of time on a, on a, say like a sheep hunt that you're inside 150 animals of animals, 150 yards of animals versus an elk hunt. So mm. I'm going to use that lens on an elk hunt way more than I am on a sheep hunt, even gotcha. though what you're saying is you think it could be opposite because actually you need more distance to get to the sheep, but I'm basically just writing that off because on a sheep hunt, gotcha. hunting for 10, 12, 14, 15 days and inside a mile of sheep, maybe once, maybe. Right. So in that sense, that thing is sitting in the back. And then sometimes too, you have like the big lens, you're like, Oh, there's some Rams and they're not legal or they're not big enough or not old enough or they're not in the right spot. I'll go over there and film them with my 600 and it's tempting to do that. And then you're kind of doing this weird thing where you're going, well, what the hell are we doing? We got to get back. Like we're hunting first, filming seconds. I don't know. And then the other thing I would say is other hunts that I've, that I've been happy to, to bring a big lens on it would be sort of high population density hunts. Like if you're doing a sick of blacktail hunt or um, what would be another good example? And I'm talking backcountry too. Like if you're hunting from the truck or, you know, whatever, bring yeah. it. I mean, also too, I don't know what your mode of access is. If you're hunting from the truck or if you guys are whatever. Yeah, we'll be going in somewhere or Right. So in that sense, it's probably tough. But if you did do some sort of, if you were doing some other backcountry in the future and you're doing a drop camp or something, then yeah, you could bring it and bring it for certain days or bring it one day or don't bring it the other. But um, anyways, that's my perspective. And I could yeah. be... No, it's I, good. I could be convinced otherwise, but I have brought that lens a lot and I don't use it a lot. Okay. That's, that's good. Um, so other, this kind of goes to another question I had other, cause I hear a lot of people asking, you know, like, what should I bring that? Da, da, da. Uh, I saw a video you did on your YouTube channel. Um, I don't and, even really have a YouTube channel, but uh, I started one because of that video. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple things on there and I watched all of them. Um, oh, and uh, in the gear one, you hit a, which I thought was really interesting, stuff not to bring. So hit me with a few things not to bring that most guys struggle with bringing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think gear gear wise, I think I was talking about multiples, multiples, multiples of things that are super redundant. So tons of extra, sh I'll, I'll maybe split up just backcountry hunting gear with camera gear and i'll do backcountry hunting gear first but tons of extra shirts and socks a second pair of pants that's not your rain pants never you know two or three pairs of socks is nice but four or five socks three or four pairs of underwear all those extra things they're nice to haves and they're not really need to haves and mm. with your equipment you actually end up having a more functional clothing system by picking just sort of the right things rather than this gear that overlaps. And what I mean by that is, and, and again, this is sort of getting into the, into this like minutia of backpack hunting and really sort of breaking this stuff down and trying to, I mean, I'm trying to basically unscrew the screws on an airplane to say, to, to save, weight in ways that I know it's not going to impact me and put that weight into insurance policies, excuse me, insurance policies that I know are going to help. And also because of what we do, we're bringing 12 pounds or 15 pounds of camera gear. So yeah. I'm going light in some places. I'm going heavy in other places. I'm going cover my ass in other places. And I'm coming at it with a, I'm getting dropped off somewhere for 10 to 14 days. I've paid money to fly in i've driven many days to get there maybe and i don't want to have a hunt be cut short or less comfortable because of it so yeah i'm waving that balance and that's sort of where i get off on the on those videos where i actually kind of pull back when you say hey tell me what gear to bring i kind of want to go well hey i'll tell you what my sort of concepts and philosophy is and that's sort of what i was getting at in that video why I'm making the decisions I'm making rather than just here's my gear list because my gear list is going to be different than yours is going to be different mm -hmm. than somebody else based on, based on the hunt, the yeah. weather, their experience levels, all those things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, back to the question, what not to bring is tons of multiples overlapping things 
probably the biggest thing that I've dropped out in the last eight or 10 years is this sort of do all jacket, like a soft shell jacket. That's really nice. Um, something from Sitka would be like the jet stream jacket, which is a great jacket. That thing was always in my pack. I love it. People love it. Um, but I actually don't bring that because okay. it's, 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 it's a wind stopping layer, which is a nice to have. It's not a need to have, if I need to stop the wick, I can put my rain gear on. Um, it's not as warm as a puffy jacket for what it's doing. So it's heavier and bulkier than like a nice puffy jacket. And the puffy jacket with a rain jacket over top kind of serves the same purpose. I would love to bring a jet stream, but it's not totally critical on, yeah. a, on a hunt where I'm literally trying to go. So you're bringing puffies and rain gear basically and like mid layers. Yeah. Synthetic, synthetic that's, base layers because they drive super fast and, and okay, you going it. synthetic. Okay. Um, yeah. so that's an interesting question too, because I was thinking for the same hunt, um, like Kuyu just came out with this new like jacket and so i'm from virginia so like i get cold super easy man like i would probably <laughs> die in canada i would probably die in canada like instantly. No, you wouldn't. um but anyway the kuyu just came out with this new jacket and it's like the burner parka or something it's supposed to be like super warm like as warm as their warmest puffy and also wind and waterproof and so i i'm kind of like debating on this hunt where it's gonna be cold it could be very cold um I'm debating that exact question. Do I just bring all my puffies and rain gear or do I invest in this super expensive all in one, like parka type jacket? No, you're going to hate that jacket for what yeah. you're doing. You're going to hate it because you're going to hate it because it's going to be super bulky. It's going to be heavy. Um, it's going to be less functional than all your other layers combined. And what I mean by that is, it's one use. You either have it on or you don't. It's binary. Mm -hmm. It's black and white. Whereas if you have your synthetic base layer, your puffy jacket, your rain jacket, maybe a vest, you can kind of adapt it to the weather, your activity levels, how heavy your pack is, if For it's sure. windy, all those sorts of things. Yeah. The, the, that jacket, that type of jacket is reserved for the absolute most hellacious cold that there is static hunts where you might be yeah. um sitting there on a mountain just getting wasted by wind and snow or mm -hmm. you're riding a snowmobile or a horse in yeah. kyrgyzstan or something where it's you you're literally going to be non-active for multiple hours and yeah. you can afford the weight and bulk so right. if you're hunting with horses you can i mean you're going to be sleeping in a wall tent if you're hunting on a snowmobile yeah you're gonna be able to drag a sled behind it um yeah, it's good because I was thinking too, like in this style of hunt, if it's pouring rain, you're probably going to like be glassing from under a tarp or something or even just like waiting it out. Like you're not going to be out oh, yeah. there. And then when, you know, and then you don't need, because if you're, if you do any kind of hiking in a jacket like that, you're going to get sweaty, like pretty dang quick. Instantly. Yeah. And you're not going to be sitting there glassing and pouring rain. So it's almost like, do you really need that? No, I think that's a really would be a really poor solution for a hunt where you need to be mobile at all. Yeah. Um, God, unless you just saved me like 800 bucks. Well, there you go. Spend 800 <laughs> bucks on, and that's the thing too, with weight and with volume, where else could you, it's, it's not, it is if that jacket is a great jacket and can keep you warm and dry for sure. And there's, there is, probably some hunts such as the ones that I listed that are more non-mobile, but a, a mobile hunt that you could use that on would be up here in Canada. We have a late season bighorn hunt where it is, it is minus 20, minus 30. You go up and basically glass until your feet freeze. And then you go back to the tent. It's, it's really cold. And that's where something like that would be one of the few hunts where you could go. I, I, I could think about bringing that but most people aren't doing those types of things. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great point because you can, what else could you do with that 800 bucks? What else could you do with that weight in your pack? And what I was trying to come full circle around when I was talking about the 600 lens or anything that I'm not bringing is I'm going to do something else with that. And usually what I'm going to do is bring two more days of food, mm -hmm. 
two pounds, you know, basically two pounds a day of food or a little bit less, but for easy math, two pounds a day of food. If you drop this, this jacket, well, jacket's a bad example because it's not crazy heavy, but yeah. you drop, you drop four pounds out of your pack. You got four pounds of food. You got two more days. Now you have a, maybe an eight day hunt. That's a 10 day hunt. You have like a 20%. If you're, if you're just kind of doing rough math, you have a 20, well, it's 25 more, I guess. If you have an eight day hunt, you had two more days. 25% more chance of getting an animal yeah. or finding an animal and having a great time. So that's my mindset. And I'm always kind of going, well, what does, if that goes in, what has to go out? Yeah. And that's sort of how my brain works on the camera gear side, things not to bring 600 millimeter lenses. <laughs> <laughs> camera gear. Uh, what, what's a good not to bring? camera year i'm gonna get all the photographer film people are gonna be what the hell is this guy talking about this guy does this for a living <laughs> um what not to bring what not to bring what not to bring oh uh, I, I think in the, in the back country and on this october hunt specifically where you're probably going to have some questionable weather it's going to be a challenging hunt i think you don't necessarily want to be switching lenses all the time because sure. those mirrorless lenses are so bad, especially snow and rain, but also just dusty environments. Mm -hmm. So you probably in, in my mind, I love to kind of not really switch lenses at tons. That's where the advantage of two bodies, yeah. so you got two bodies, you got two different focal lengths and you almost don't switch lenses. You don't want to switch lenses. Maybe, maybe you have one little specialty lens that you, bust out a camp or something like that. But, um, I would kind of push you more into thinking back to the question of what not to bring for camera gear is don't bring tons of lenses. Cause be, because you're probably not going to switch. You're not going to want to switch and just like stick with the stuff that you have. You can use some variables like you're running that 24 to 205. And I don't know what your other body is, but, um, you could run mysteries. yeah you could run like a little nifty 50 off that or something like that i mean that's that's pretty good coverage or i would probably do 24 70 7200 yeah. and call it freaking good man i think we get bogged down in gear a lot in in the backcountry hunting side of things and in the filming side of things where we sort of foamy at the mouth to, to figure out what the best gear is but the reality is you could film this thing on your phone and it would yeah. probably be pretty cool yeah. So, I, and this is just speaking from experience of things that I've definitely done, which is you want to bring the kitchen sink. You don't want to get up there and feel like you don't have enough. Um, but really you get a little bit bogged down when you have a lot of options and you're kind of going, should I switch lenses or you're switching lenses and you're missing the shot and you're kind of just spinning in your own mind. It's, it's a little bit nice to be somewhat simplistic because you can think about what you're trying to create a little bit more and a little sure. bit less about your gear. And the only thing that I would say is with comes to camera gear versus the hunting gear, don't bring extra socks, don't bring extra underwear with camera gear, bring extra batteries and bring extra cards. Those are two things For sure. you really can't really bring enough of um, yeah. because your hunt could go longer or you could accidentally leave your camera rolling for two hours and burn mm -hmm. your battery and your cards. So memory cards are super light. They're really cheap with regards to how much you're spending on camera gear. The batteries <clears throat> generally a little bit heavier, but still relatively for the rest of your kit, a couple extra batteries doesn't mean anything. You gotta, have them. you gotta have them. Yeah. So. so I would go more simplistic on camera gear and obviously bring tons of extra batteries and cards. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, dude, I could probably sit here and talk to you for like another two hours, but I know you're a busy dude and uh, you've already given me an hour of your time. So I really appreciate you. Um, where where can people find your stuff if they want to check out more of what you got going? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now we're talking about hunting and camera stuff. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I know. I'm leaving for a hunt like in a couple of weeks and I'm like, especially now you can't get a hold of stuff. So you got to like, right. you know, so... I'm, I kind of was like had a freak out moment last night and like making this giant to-do list and you know I'm doing new boots and a new pack so I got like all kinds of 
stuff I got to get straight. But anyway, you going bear hunting? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. Um, where can you find me? I'm kind of floating around the internet a little bit. My Instagram <laughs> handles Fossman eight, which is what they used to call me on the lacrosse team growing up. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so my last name is F O S S M A N the number eight. Uh, our company is Foss Media, and we work with a bunch of really rad brands that help us do what we do. So you probably see some of our stuff popping up with companies like Zipka and Yeti, and Mystery Ranch, Matthews, yeah. and Hilberg and all these cool. And I and I mention them because it's only possible because of companies that that want to support what we're doing, which is sure. hopefully this broader thing and what you're doing too is just getting people exposed to hunting and the outdoors and inspiring them to get out there, whether it's hunting, fishing, backpacking, yeah, picking up a camera, anything, just getting people out. Cause I think if we're aligned, which I'm sure we are, the more people that are doing this, the better it is for the, the sort of continued proliferation of what we love to do right and if, if we're just nobody's doing it nobody cares yeah we're just trying to make our generation's cave paintings <laughs> it'll it ship it <laughs> export it yeah. upload it title yeah, of the which episode. i think one of my favorite videos on your small youtube page is the testing the sitka dew point jacket when like right in the middle you're like running and then like you get an ice cream <laughs> yeah so good. that's awesome um, anyway, oh, all right, fun. man. Well, uh, thanks again. Um, hopefully, we can connect again sometime in person. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe maybe do something together one day. But I appreciate your time, man. Until then, man, keep laxing or don't <laughs> keep hunting. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, thanks. Okay, see ya.